handed down to generation to generation. How do we do that? How does it get handed down? We give them the Lord. We show them the Lord. We show our kids, our grandkids, our our, uh, little nephews and nieces. We hand down the Lord to them, and that's an amazing, wonderful thing. So, Well, while you grab your Bibles, we're going to be in James 3 this morning as we're going through the book of James. I want to say thank you to Fred for coming up doing communion. I know that's not always easy uh, to get up here. Um, And ladies, if you want to get in on doing communion, you are welcome to. Uh, uh, Just let us know, and we'll put you in on a rotation. So uh, some have said, I would never get up there and do that. That is okay. We're not going to force you. But if you want to, you're welcome to. So, Well, as we've been talking through the book of James and teaching through the book of James, We've been talking about what God wants out of us. And what does God truly want out of us? Maturity. Maturity. Growing up. I mean, that's what we want out of our kids, don't we? Uh, You know, uh, I don't know if Lisa thinks that I've grown up enough, but, uh, you know, uh, we want all our our kids to grow up. We want uh, all the adults to grow up. And it's a process to becoming mature. And in chapter 3, we see that he starts talking about the tongue. And James says a mature Christian has the power over his tongue. He begins to talking to those that, he, that, that, that want to teach, to those that, that teach the Word of God, from, from preacher to Sunday school teacher to, to midweek teacher to small group. Anytime you're teaching the Word of God, whatever it is, we need to be careful in how we present the Word of God. We need to not stray. It's very important to teach it correctly. He talked about how teachers receive a a stricter judgment because there's been many false teachers throughout the church's history. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that those who teach, or you know that that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And today we have them. We have those who are not teaching the Word of God, in truth, in the churches. It's unfortunate. A lot of times it's about money. money. A lot of times they're teaching heresy because they're not sticking with the Word of truth. They're not sticking with what God has taught us. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? I'm not saying our church does it perfect and every other church out there is wrong. That is not the point. There's many great churches here in Tulare. I know many of the, the pastors personally. They've been over my house. They've eaten at my table. We we were friends. They're good men and women of God. But there's others that are out there in this world, in the United States, across the the great uh, uh, earth, that are leading their followers straight to hell because of what they're teaching. It's a tragedy. Last week we talked about how it's, you know, we have to be careful who we're following because there's times with all this new technology, I mean, that we can just follow blindly. I mean, we've all heard the stories over the years with, as GPS has gotten into our cars, you know, and, and so forth. And we just followed the, what the GPS told me. I ended up in that creek. I didn't see that the road actually ended. I just kept driving because GPS told me to go there. Those are many of followers that think they're following God when they're following a man who is not teaching the word of God. We have to know where we're headed. 
Now, God is not going to hold teachers accountable for some of those gray areas. There are different thoughts on different parts of the scripture uh, that we don't fully understand. I mean, take the, the timing of the rapture. It's something we don't fully understand. And God is not saying, well, you got it wrong. You're going to be punished for it. Teaching the Bible can be interpretive at points. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, are they fully alive today or not? I believe they are. There are some that don't. I'm not going to fight with somebody on that. I believe miracles still happen. Some people don't. I'm not going to fight with that. But there are foundational issues to the Word of God that we will be held accountable for. The major issues, the major themes. And God will discipline those who teach wrong. Maybe it's a loss or reward in heaven. I don't know. Maybe it's a blessing here on earth. I'm not sure that there's a difference between getting something wrong and not holding to it versus heresy and teaching the wrong thing, okay? Paul says, if we seek to be pleasers of men, in other words, men pleasers, we are no longer a servant of Christ. Why do we want to please men? Well, we hate to disappoint people. Anybody here one of those people pleasers? You hate to disappoint other people? We got a couple of hands. One of my sons is like that. He's a people pleader. He hates to, to disappoint us. It will devastate him at times. We went to people full of I mean, we want the church full of people, don't we? We don't want to offend people. So some people will, will teach what, what itching ears, as the Bible calls it, wants to hear. They will teach things that are not of the Bible. They go against the Bible, actually, and that is wrong. James goes on and says in verse 2, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. And again, that word is mature. Able to keep their whole body in check. Chapter 3 of James primarily deals with the tongue. And last week we talked about how really the tongue represents what's in our heart. The implication is that when we mature, when we become perfect, as the word is used, we're able to live a better life. So how do we mature? Well, we fill the mind with the, uh, you know, fill the body and the mind with the things of God. You see, many want to mature, but they won't put the effort into it. Many will not discipline themselves in the study of the Word of God. They won't try to understand it. They, they won't seek the wisdom of God. The problem is we, try, we are trying to use the flesh to attain the things of God, and that will disappoint us every time. We cannot use the flesh to conquer the flesh. We cannot. It is by the Holy Spirit that we become mature. It is through God himself. So instead of just trying, we should be start, you know, start talking to God. We call this prayer. Ask him to give him his will in your life. His strength to conquer whatever issues you're trying to conquer. The desire even to conquer the flesh and start to mature. Lord, I can't do these things on my own. I need your help. Now, what is my part in this? What is your part in this? To offer yourself as a living sacrifice for God every day. To be in God's service. To wake up and say, God, how do you want to use me today? To bring myself to him every day. Lord, here I am. Use me. And the Spirit of God will start to flow through us 
and produce a fruit that we talked about several weeks ago. Now, James says we all stumble, but our goal is to mature to a point where we are stumbling less and less. We're like toddlers when we become Christians, right? Little Simeon last week, you know, uh, I, I, I love the vitality. I, I love the, he just gun-ho, you know, he's almost two. Last week he stumbled, you know, during the sermon and he, he hit his head on the chair and he starts wailing out. You know what I'm saying? He starts crying. We can forgive little Simeon of that, right? I mean, he's two, he stumbles, right? That's an immature Christian. That's somebody who comes to God and, and early on they stumble a lot. Now, take my 10-year-old son. Now, if my 10-year-old son's sitting out in the congregation, and he starts fumbling around and, and tripping over and hitting his head on the chairs and stuff, we would all go, well, something is going on there. We need to you know, get him to a doctor or do something, because a 10-year-old shouldn't be stumbling. That. Now, take a 50-year-old. If I'm stumbling around the chairs and knocking over chairs and, and falling down, you would all say, okay, we need a new preacher. Uh, well, I mean, you know, you would say something is wrong. We need to mature. We need to stop being toddlers. We need to not be Simeon when, we, when we're older. We should be working on getting you know, uh, better concerning our walk when our walk should be in the Spirit with God. And when we're in the Spirit, we start to sin less and less. We don't become perfect as in Christ's perfect, but we start to mature, and we don't necessarily deal with some of the same issues. When we learn to control the tongue, we learn to control most everything else. Why? As we talked about last week, the tongue is a powerful tool. It's used to build up, and it's also used to destroy. We tend to not think about the tongue. It kind of flies under the radar. But James gives us six different illustrations of the tongue at this point. He likens it to a bit, to a, you know, like a, a bit that goes in a horse's mouth, a rudder, a fire, a poisonous animal, a fountain, and a fig tree. And these all paint a different picture in our mind to use the tongue either wisely or unwisely to destroy or to build up. Verse 3, it says, when we put bits in the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship for an example. As an example, although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. When James talks about the tongue being a bit or a rudder, he's talking about the tongue being used to direct us. Both of these things are very small compared to what they're directing. A little metal bit, think of a bolt going in the horse's mouth. Now, how many, anybody ride horses? Anybody has ridden horses in the past? Several of you. Are they little bitty horses? Are they big horses? I tell you, I went to Hawaii, big horses, yeah, I went to Hawaii once and we rode horses and they put me on the smallest horse and I looked like this giant on this horse. Most of the time, you're going to get the appropriate size horse, you know? You're going to have a big horse, and this little bitty metal bit, this little bolt that goes in their mouth can direct the thing. The same thing with a ship. I mean, some of those rudders are, you know, taller than I am, but when compared to this huge ship, it's very small. It's used to direct us. Wherever the rudder turns, the ship turns. 
The tongue is a small member of our body, and yet it can turn our lives very easily. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We talked a little bit about that last week, but, and, and I love Psalms 141.3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips is what it's saying. Another translation. So to control the bit and rudder, you need to do what? You need to have the will to control it. And it's just not a, a willy-nilly turn, you know, you just don't, oh, let me, let me just turn the ship or pull the rein. No, you have to know where you want to go, especially with a ship. You start turning way before you think you need to turn. Why is that? Because if you don't, you're going to hit something. The only way to control the human tongue is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need and we should desire God's help in controlling this out-of-control thing. God gives us the, the strength and the grace and, and the ability to live with the tongue with his help. Because the tongue can change our life for good or evil. The way a person talks is important because it shows what's in their heart. As we talked about last week. What we listen to what we see, what we hear affects how we talk. The music, the videos we watch, what we read on Facebook, <laughs> it all affects our tongues. It all affects our hearts. It's amazing to watch my kids grow up in these, you know, this day and age, uh, what they have uh, access to technology-wise. I didn't have in the 70s, okay? It blows my mind. The things that Grayson learns on YouTube cracks me up. You talk to Grayson about numbers. I mean, he's, he just turned six yesterday, okay? And, uh, I mean, I'm not talking about numbers like, oh, tens, twenties, thirties. I mean, he's in his head, he's calculating up ten. Uh, you know, we had a friend that, that had uh, 17 trees, or I forgot what it was. But, anyway, he calculated in his head ten times 17 was 170. And he was like, wow, that's a lot. I mean, that's pretty good for a five-year-old. But he'll start talking to you about uh, some of the highest numbers. And I can't even pronounce uh, some of these numbers. Sectillion, he'll go, oh, that has 23 zeros. And you're like, what? You know, he's saying words that I've never heard of when it comes to numbers. Now, at the same time, we as parents, we had to be careful. We have to know what he's listening to. We have to know what he is watching because those things are going in his mind. When I hear something I don't like that can influence him in a bad way, I talk to him about it. And I tell him why we don't like that video. You don't hear mommy and daddy saying those words, do you? Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to block that video and you're not going to be able to watch that person anymore. And, he, and he's getting that. But the tongue, he, you know... Uh, the, the things that go in his mind affect what he's going to say, so we have to be careful. It can affect him. Words can, even, uh, can either draw us toward God or away from God, and the devil uses it. The tongue can also be used for great things. On April 21st, 19, or 1855, a guy named, a guy named Edward Kimball 
went to a Boston shoe store and met a young salesman of the name of Dwight L. Moody. And he talked to him about Christ and he led him to Christ. The result of that is one of the greatest evangelists that we've had in America. And the, the tongue is like a bit and a rudder, the power to direct. He directed his life in the right way because somebody used the tongue to bring God into his life. We want our tongue to direct us the right way. The tongue has a power to destroy. The, the tongue has a power to, to, to tear apart lives. Verse 5, it goes on and says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and, it's, and is itself set on fire by hell. Verse 7, all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless, full of deadly poison. I mean, think about a match, a small little flame. We've seen the destruction, especially out here in the dry season in California, you know, whether it be a you know, power line coming down or somebody throwing out a, a, you know, a cigarette on the side of the road or somebody not covering up a campfire or, or somebody doing a gender reveal party. And you know, stuff can, a very small flame can all of a sudden erupt into a forest fire. They may even have good intentions, yet the forest is now on fire. That's the same thing with the tongue. James even calls the tongue hell's match, basically. Able to, to destroy lives. On April 8, 1871, D.L. Moody was preaching in Chicago. He presented the gospel. He told the people, go home and think about what I said, and next week, come back here ready to give your life to the Lord. As he was leaving... He was hearing the fire trucks. He was hearing the bells ringing. And they were going all over the streets because the great Chicago fire was roaring. It started in the barn of Mrs. O'Leary, they say. A cow kicked over a lantern. Small fire destroyed over 17,600 homes. Left 125,000 people homeless, 300 people died, and it cost the city somewhere around $400 million. Because of this, Moody never ended a night by saying, think about it. He always gave those a, a chance to come to the Lord because that was his primary job as an evangelist. That night he was trying to go home. He could hear the screams. The fire was all over the place. He said it felt like the fires of hell. And he used that example week after week as he went around and preached the gospel. Now, the Chicago fire cannot even be compared to the destruction of the tongue has caused over the centuries. Lives, reputations, death, suffering, all because of what somebody has said and what somebody has spoken. Families have been destroyed. 
Proverbs 16, 7 says, an ungodly man digs up evil and is on his lips like a burning fire. Like he can't even wait for it to get out. A perverse man sows strife and whispers separates the best of friends. I was flipping channels the other day and I'm a chaplain for Tulare Police Department. I happen to hit a, a, a cop's show, and I, I just stopped for a second, and, uh, and I soon changed it because I just can't stand it. But, but two people were mad at each other. One woman threw his cell phone out the window, and the other guy started hitting her because of it. And the cop is like, wait a sec, wait a sec. How long have you guys been best friends? Oh, for years. Then why are you acting this way? It can destroy lives. Gossip. Little things. As long as evil has fuel and oxygen, the fire will spread. And if we keep using our tongues for evil and gossip, it spreads and it destroys. Proverbs 26, 20, 21 says, Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no talebearers, strife ceases. As charcoal is to burning coals, wood to fire, so is the contentious, contentiousness uh, man to kindle strife. One discontented person, one person who has an axe to grind can destroy many lives. It can destroy companies. We see this in workplace violence. One person gets mad. They go home, they get a gun, they come back in. Destroys lives. We think war is terrible, yet war always starts with the tongue. He goes on and says in verse 6, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one man's life on fire, and, it's, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. Now think of the most deadly and dangerous land animal you can think of. Did you know most of them are in our zoos? We actually bring them toward us instead of leaving them alone. Yet I'm amazed at the same time how we can train whales to do what they do. You know, before they stopped the Shamu show, uh, you know, growing up, we went to these parks every now and then. We, we saw the whale, that, how they can get them to jump up on this platform in this huge, you know, huge whale. I'm amazed at how the lions can be trained to do certain things or a bear. I mean, I grew up watching that show with, you, you know, the big bear on the show in the 70s, early 80s. Anybody? Yeah, okay, some of you shaking your heads. I have no clue what the name of the show was, but they had a trained bear on the show. I mean, it's amazing what they could do. But most trainers will tell you the best time to train an animal is right when they are born from cubs. This should be a lesson for us. The best time to train what comes out of the mouth of babes is what? When they're cubs, when they're little. To say to them, you hear that word coming, you know, from somewhere else, but you don't hear it coming out of our mouth? You don't repeat it. That, that word's not good. Don't do it. Our influence on them is amazing. When we tell young ones, don't drink, 
and yet we're drinking every night, what are we telling them? We tell young ones, stay true to your, to your spouse, and yet you're out with other men or women or out at the bars, what are you telling your young ones? We're not supposed to deceive them. We tell them, don't lie to us, yet we deceive them when we do these things. Don't use these words, yet we turn around and use them. We need to train our kids in godly ways. We need to, to, to power the Holy Spirit to, to, you know, to be in us to use as an example to them, whether they're our kids or our grandkids or whether we're helping somebody else raise their children. I mean, some of us think, well, I don't have kids. What about your job? How do you treat your coworkers? What language do you use around them? Are your nieces or nephews, your grandkids, your tongue is an example of what is in your heart. Train an animal from being a baby or a cub. It's amazing what they can accomplish. And yet, they can turn on you in an instance. Why? They're an animal. The tongue is worse than those. Through our own power, the tongue will turn on us. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, given freely by God to those who give their life to Christ, you can tame it. Proverbs 22.6. I'm not sure which one it's on, Lisa, so you'll have to figure it out. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Language, actions, by also, you know, following the Lord, you can train a child to have respect. My kids don't talk back to me. Why? Do I knock them upside the head? No. No. But we've taught them not to talk back. We've trained them. My kids don't scream at each other. No, they're screaming while they're playing and stuff, but they don't get in each other's face and scream at each other. Why? We don't allow that to happen in our house, and I certainly don't do that to my wife, and my wife doesn't do it to me. That's an example to our children on how to act. I'm not saying we're perfect. Don't get me wrong. But our actions train our children. I want our kids to be great adults with God in them. Because I've learned one thing, though. I can do all the training possible, but the only thing is through the help of the Holy Spirit will they truly be able to control the tongue. Controlling the tongue knows, is, is a person who knows when to say something, how to say something, when not to say something, when, you know, how not to say it. The tongue must be tamed. Why? It's a restless evil, James says, full of deadly poison. It can destroy reputation. It can destroy a young person's ego. It can be devastating, you know, on, on relationships. The word restless in the original Greek means unstable. It's like a wild animal fiercely trying to break out of captivity. This is the tongue. If you notice, the tongue is the only member of the body that's actually got, has its own cage. You know, the teeth keep it from, you know, can keep it out. The tongue can destroy morally, economically, emotionally, and spiritually. 
All it takes is a little bit of poison to change lives. Inject it into a little conversation. It can destroy families. It can destroy churches. Everyone who is an ax to grind with another person usually feels like they have the superior position, right? I'm just standing up for the truth. But if you're a gossip, you use the tongue in the wrong way. The Bible says that, that you're not using it properly. See, either we're, we're using Jesus in our life to build up and to edify other people, or we're working for the devil to tear down those who love God when we treat each other in the church in a, in a wrong way. goes on and says, with the tongue... With the tongue, we praise our Father in heaven, our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Now, before I move on, I do want to point out something. I don't know if you caught it here. I had to read it several times myself before it hit me. James says we praise God and we curse humans, but it's that last part that kind of hit me. Human beings who were made in God's likeness. That person that you can't stand, that person that you do not like, the one, you know, that person that you don't want to ever be really around, that one person that you are morally superior to, that person is also what? Made in God's likeness. (laughs) Wait a second, what? You mean they're made in God's likeness also? Just like me? So instead of offering that cutting remark, instead of gossiping about them, how about we offer God's love because of what Christ did for you and I? He went to the cross for us, so therefore we owe a debt of love, as as Romans says, to this world because he offered us life. Verse 10, it says, out of the same mouth we, uh, mouth we praise and... and, and uh, let me start that over. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. See, a redeemed heart should produce a redeemed tongue. This is how, you know, this is one of those last things that a Christian really tames. You love the Lord, but on the way home you gossip or curse other Christians or other people who you have a problem with, or you use profanity, or you tell that joke that you really shouldn't tell, yet you come to church and you be a Christian, and you, you, know, you know, but a sign of maturity is being able to control that tongue. We can decide to come to church and worship God. But when we leave, we need to take God with us. He doesn't stay. James isn't saying a person who hasn't learned to control the tongue is not a Christian or shouldn't be a Christian. He just says, my brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. If you call yourself a Christian, learn how to tame it through the help of the Holy Spirit. Verse 11. Can both flesh and water or, uh, fl- uh, fr- sorry, can both fresh water and salt water flow from, from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grape bear f- figs? Neither can salt, a salt spring produce fresh water. 
And I feel like I've been saying the same thing over and over, but I think it's important. If God fills us, what should be coming out of us? The things of God. It's that simple, yet it's very difficult at the same time. The only way for this to truly happen in your life and my life is with the help of the Holy Spirit. Because if you try to do it on your own, you will fail. You'll sort of kind of get there, but you won't. Human effort will only get you so far. That's why we need God. He's not only our saving grace, but he matures us and he perfects us. And that is what James is trying to get across on this section. Why don't you stand and we'll pray. We'll pray for our tongues as uh, uh, the worship team leads us in the last song. Lord, I, I pray that when we leave here today that we start the process of maturing. The process of, of realizing the things that we say are important. And that with your help, you can identify those things when, when we don't even realize we're saying them. We don't even realize that, that, that we're, we're going against that person or, or gossiping. We ask for the Holy Spirit to point that out in our lives so that we can mature. I thank you for, for leaving the Spirit within us because there's no way I could do this on my own, Lord. I pray that, that, that we get to a point in our life that every decision, every action, everything that we do is done through you and with you in mind, Lord. I pray for the strife in this world. There's a lot of strife going on right now, Lord, and none of it can be solved without you. We know by reading your scriptures that, that uh, it's just going to get worse and worse. But your presence is still here, Lord, and we ask you to use us to give peace to this world. It's so, so needed. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may his face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.